Are you a mum looking for some parenting inspiration, tips and advice, stories on the ups and downs we face in our lives as parents, some humour and a little bit of fun? Then you may have just found what you're looking for. Hi and welcome to the Parenting in the Thick of It show. I'm your host Louise Clark, a certified parent coach known to many as your parenting partner. As a mum to three teenagers, you can bet I've probably been there, done that and heard it all. Trust me, there'll be few things that I haven't experienced firsthand. I created this podcast because I just love to help mums like you find ways to navigate life in the thick of it and find a way out of it. Episode 607 the ins and outs of mobile data and cell phone contracts in creating a healthy tech diet. Hi and welcome to my podcast book club series on the book The Tech Diet for Your Child and Teen by Brad Marshall. We are going to be discussing mobile data, whether kids should have it, how much they should have and how we hope to even control it and Do we create and put together a contract that we get our kids to sign to keep them on the straight and narrow with regard to whatever tech plan it is we are trying to negotiate with them? It can be really, really hard. And today we're going to focus on these two things because controlling our kids' media diets through limiting their mobile data is fast becoming a thing of the past because we all know that kids can now download what they need when they have data so that when they don't have data, they can actually do what they want to do, usually the things we don't want them to do. So how on earth are we going to do it when these plans are all-inclusive and unlimited and we have children who are absolute tech gurus and they can get round so many things. I'm going to be 100% honest here and say that it's really hard and these cell phone companies and plans are making it increasingly difficult and tough for parents to limit the amount of data our kids have. But there are ways of doing it and I'm going to discuss all of these today as we discuss the last two steps of the seven steps you need to take to unplug your child and control their media diet. Step six is minimize the mobile data. And step seven is locking it in. Please note that the links to buy this book can be found in the show notes. And also note that I do not receive any money for any purchases made. Also, all the information read and discussed in these episodes are, of course, copyright to the author, Brad Marshall. And if you are a fan of this show and a regular tuner in of this show, please don't forget to rate and review it. Hop over onto iTunes or Spotify or whichever platform you use and rate and review it. This helps other parents who are in the thick of it and finding things challenging. It helps them get some much-needed advice and free solutions to some of the challenges they might be facing. So I really appreciate it when you take the time to do this as it really helps other parents get the support they, they desperately need. 
So we're going to start on page 173 with step six, minimize the mobile data. And it is it is tricky because, as I mentioned, the kids will download whatever they need so they can do that, whether they have data or not. They're really smart. And the family plans that they that, that we give them are usually unlimited these days. This, it's increasingly hard to find a plan that limits cell data. And because we have family plans, the whole family is under one roof. So he talks about this and he urges you to go to your, your um, providers and see whether you can actually restrict the amount of data that you get per phone rather than having, you know, for our family, for example, we've got a certain amount of data. Actually, it's not unlimited, but it applies to all five of us. So, you know, one of our kids could use it all. And there's no ways of us on with this provider of actually limiting it to a certain amount for each of the kids' phones and giving my husband and I the unlimited data. Parents are not the problem when it comes to chomping through data. As we all know, it's something the kids do and they eat their way through it at a, an alarming rate. So the question that comes to mind is, you know, our kids always tell us that they are socialising online and they need their phones to socialise and connect with friends. So as I say, the question is, is social interaction on their phone enough and equivalent and the same as social interaction in person? And there is a resounding, no, it is not. It is absolutely ridiculous of any parent to buy into their kids saying that they are getting all their socialising on phone on their phones. How does it translate? How does socialising online through Snapchat or other social media platforms, how does that translate to the real world? And what sort of skills are they developing online that are actually totally transferable to the real world? I'm going to say very, very few. How does a social media platform develop the social skills your kids need required to go on their first date or attend a job interview or manage social complex relationships as an adult? The, the answer is it doesn't. We have to make sure that kids are having enough social interaction in person, face to face. And remember, it was the first of the developmental domains that is essential, which is social development. So I'm going to go on to page 177, where he talks about strategies to help us confront the mobile data monster, because it is a monster. And this book was written in 2019. So he refers to a new category of mobile game being released that effectively strips back the aspects of the game that chew through data to make it accessible to people on limited data plans. Well, that is already three years old. So there's there's more of that. So they they can the games require data, but while they're playing them, they don't. But the platform does, and then intermittently it requires data. So they're not going through as much of it. It's very very difficult for us. So. He refers also to 
this amazing hotspot technology that now exists that allows us to tether a device to your mobile data. So this, this basically allows kids to play on their traditional devices and consoles or laptops despite us controlling the home Wi-Fi. So as I said, it's becoming increasingly difficult. And he does recommend that if and when possible and where possible, that we do limit the amount of data on each of our kids' cell phones as, in, as independently as we can. So it's not part of the plan. And he recommends to shop around because it is there are still some providers that will allow you to do this. The other solutions he mentioned are, if you're on an Apple iPhone, then looking at the Screen Time app because it allows you to l put limits on certain apps or lock down a phone's features at certain times. There are flaws, um, so he does recommend that we un fully understand how, how the whole system works before Im imp implementing it, and also be very, very savvy as to, A, when you key in your password, that your kid is not within you know, 100 feet of you, because they're going to see you and me memorize it, even if you don't think they have. They also are master hackers. They can get into things. They can even, they have been even known to replicate a fingerprint and get in to various devices that have a fingerprint entry system. So use very savvy, undecipherable passwords so that the kids can't break into it with great ease. He says avoid setting specific time limits to uh, such as limiting social media to 30 minutes per day because he says in his experience, kids get around it with ease. Instead, use it to disable all features apart from the basic ones like phone calls, alarms and music between certain hours. He says if your child goes to bed at 9 p.m., you could set up their phone to becoming incredibly boring between 8.30 p.m. and 7 a.m. or whatever time they need to wake up. So the take home message is here, use apps like screen time as an add on or supplementary strategy to, to the overall unplugged plan. They should not be the only thing you use. And remember, the best course of action is to find a mobile plan that gives your child very limited data so you can control the Wi-Fi. In other words, Internet on, Internet off. So we're going to jump over and into unplug step number seven, which is lock it in. And by lock it in, he means how do we get our kids to agree to whatever limits we are proposing to set for them? And as I always say to my clients, it is imperative that you all sit down at the table. So you say to your kid, look, let's sit down and come up with what we all deem is reasonable in terms of X, Y and Z. If they refuse to come to the table, you say to them, if you don't come to negotiate and you don't sit at the table, then you just won't get your input. And we know you want your, we know you need your input. You want your inputs. But if you're not prepared to do it, then dad and I or mum and I will develop the plan in your absence and you will have no say in it. Usually when you put it that way, they will come to the table whatever the table may mean, whether you're chatting in the car or whether you are around the table or you're in the living room or you're sitting on the sofa, um, you need to get together to negotiate the plan. 
So how do you do it? The more formally you do it, the worse it usually pans out. And if you come to the table with a contract that is already written up, it's a surefire way of your kid basically walking away because you've come to the table to negotiate a deal and meanwhile you put on the table your deal. So there's no room for negotiation and they firmly believe that you know you're, it's going to be our way or the highway, which most kids think because they seldom do get the say that they feel they need and most kids will say that their parents don't hear them or listen to them enough. So see them, hear them, and understand them. Make sure they get their say. Make sure you you validate that and reflect it back to them so they understand you hear their opinion and for however much time they want on X, Y, and Z. So he says on page 188 that really this should feel like more of a brainstorming session than a legal meeting. However, you do want to to keep things in terms that are very objective, either it's done or it's not, or um, and keeping it casual enough that your kid doesn't feel they're being set up. So it's it's quite difficult. He recommends using a whiteboard and just jotting down things along the way or a big sheet of paper. And once you have an agreement, take a photo of it and either email it or text it to your kid because that is proof that everyone has agreed to it. So you've come up with something and you've all got a copy of it rather than printing it and, and making it formal like that. Don't write lengthy notes on your phone or cards or anything and pull them out halfway through making the plan. It's not a business meeting. That is a quick far way to ensure your child goes from healthy negotiation to the world is against me. Now, before you come to the table, he does recommend that you get your game face on. And I cannot reiterate this enough. You and your partner need to discuss this prior to coming to the table, quote unquote, so that you're both on the same page, so that you have an idea of what your bottom line is. What is your not negotiable? And remember from previous chapters and from previous episodes on this show, never go in with your maximum. So for example, if you want your kid to go to bed at 9pm, don't come in and say you need to go to bed at 9. Rather come in and say, well, we would like you to go to bed at 8. And your kid's going to go, what? That's absolutely ridiculous. I was thinking more about 10. So that you can go, well, okay, how about nine? And they might go, that's still ridiculous. None of my friends go to bed at nine. Let's make it half past nine or 9.30. And maybe that half hour, even giving that half hour, is all it will take for your teen to think that you really care. Because now you've gone from 8 p.m. to 9.30 and they've only come back from 10 to 9.30. It's a win for them. So work out these numbers before you come to the table. Don't have them written down, just have them in your head. So it doesn't look like you're coming to the negotiation with preconceived ideas. There are four, five questions you need to have the answers for in your mind. One is how many hours would you ideally like your child to be online 
during a school night. And I take Sunday night as a school night. So Sunday through Thursday, inclusive. Have your preferred answer and your bottom line. The other th four questions. What is the ideal bedtime on a school night? Your preferred answer, your bottom line. How many hours would you ideally like your child to be online on the weekend, Saturday and Sunday? Preferred answer, bottom line. What is the ideal bedtime on the weekend? Preferred answer, bottom line. And what is your price? What are the three things you would like to see improve? And remember to, to relate this to those domains, the developmental domains. Where, what are your top three things you want to change in what is not working currently in any you know, tech plan you might have. Might be your kids are not seeing enough friends in person. Might be they're not getting their homework done. It might be they're not getting enough sleep. So take those three and put those in. Those are the three things you're going to try and improve through implementing this tech plan. So have those answers readily available. And then you can ask your kids, what do you think is a reasonable time? And remember from previous episodes in this series that you have created a 24-hour period, a weekday one and a weekend one, where you actually account for the hours. So you end up with a certain amount of time that potentially could be used to be online. Now, he talks about how long should a contract last and he recommends it to be on the shorter side than the long side so you can easily revise it. And he says, you know, in his office, he typically plans these for a school term, but somewhere between one and three months, especially on the short side, if the plan is more in your kid's favor. In other words, they say they're going to step up to the plate and do X, Y, and Z. And you're thinking in your mind, they're never going to do it at least giving them a month to try and prove to you that they can is a good thing. Because after a month, you can say this is not working, we need to change it. But if you've put in a three-month plan and it's not working, then you've signed to it and said, we'll change it in three months. So it's easier if teenagers agree to something that's seen as a trial. If it's not successful, it gives the opportunity for your teenager to feel heard again and then an opportunity for you to tweak the rules. And the most important reason to have time-limited reviews is that most kids will insist on some smaller points that you know full well are not going to work. The example he gives is, you know, he says, how do you convince your teenage boy they need tutoring on a page 194? And usually he asks the teenager what their plan is and they give you some vague rhetoric thing like, I, I just need to work harder and I don't need a tutor, I can do it on a, on a Saturday. He then encourages parents to negotiate a period for the teenager to try their own plan and set a goal for their next test or whatever it is they're not doing so well on. Because we all know the teenager's vague plan is unlikely to work. And then they're much more willing to try an alternate plan if they feel they've had a crack at their own before a crack at yours. One thing is crystal clear on page 195. Parents must honour the contract or plan just 
as we are expecting our children to. There's no room for double standards. And pulling rank only works so many times before you have a full-blown rebellion on your hands. So best save that pulling rank for things where it really, really matters. So he goes on to say, you, you do need to have a starting point, even if it's not perfect. And this is why get the game on face those works the worksheet he has on the on page 191 it's really important to have those numbers because that's at least a starting point and you can build from there you can do that with regard to bedtime so for example 10:30 is bedtime the wi-fi is off but it will be reviewed at the end of the school term if school records indicate you have late more than three times this year, it will revert to 10 p.m. next term. It needs to be really concrete. No wishy-washiness, no margin for, for error. And any time you can link a goal or behavior to something that's judged by an external person, it limits the need for conflict. He thinks of it as outsourcing. Now he talks about the school holidays, what do we do then, and he says, it's much easier to make a plan for the school holidays after you've had a plan for term time. He recommends hitting term time first and then, then tweaking the plan for the holidays versus the other way around. So he steers clear of fixed number of hours just per se for kids and how many hours they can have online because and I say this as well because it's all relative and needs to be in context to your kid's life. You know, if Brad Marshall was to say that age 15, they need X number of hours a day online, then there's so much margin for for kind of diversity and, and, and differences in that example. You know, if we were to say they need two hours time online, then two hours is absolutely fine provided they've checked all the other boxes. But if they've not checked all the other boxes, then two hours might be too much. So you need to keep it in context of your, your child, how long they're sleeping, how long they're studying, whether they have a job, whether they are eating well, wh whether they are checking all the other boxes, because that is the most important thing. And then if there are four hours in the day left and they could be online for four hours, then is four hours a big deal? But if they've not checked all the boxes, then two hours might be too much. So the tech diet summary on page 201 is one, take control of the Wi-Fi, internet on, internet off. Two, reframe the Wi-Fi as a reward, not a right. Three, Negotiate a plan and name your price. In other words, the price is the behavior you want to see from them. And four, don't let their access to mobile data undermine your plan. So in chapter seven, he discusses the timeline. Like when should we be doing this? How should we do it? How long will it take? Should I do it in the term? Should I do it in school holidays? And there's no set hard, fast rule, but I will be talking about that in episode 608 next week, and we'll be looking at various things to help you get that right. And then after that, for chapter eight, 
is how do we get our teenagers to drink the Kool-Aid? In other words, how do we get them to, to how do we get them on side? And in chapter nine, he talks about when it all goes pear-shaped. And he also gives examples in there of, you know, what do we do if our kids have um, ADHD, if they're on the spectrum, if they have anxiety, depression, or any of these uh, symptoms and diagnoses. So it's a very thorough book. We're far from finished, but you're well on your way to it. If you're listening to this and you haven't listened to the previous episodes in the in the series, I urge you to do that before you try and put together a plan. The information in this book is great. I love it. I hope you've enjoyed this so far. We've still got three episodes left where I will be discussing the rest of the book. So as always, thank you so much for tuning in today. I always enjoy chatting to you. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I do, preparing it and putting it out there for you. And as always, as I mentioned earlier at the beginning of this episode, if you've enjoyed it, please share it with a friend, share it with a family member, share it with someone who needs it. There's so many parents who are struggling, so many relationships, parent-child relationships that are not as strong as they could be. And it really does come down to us, the parents, and how we are showing up and how we are able to control ourselves or not in the face of whatever behavior they decide to throw our way. So, as always, thank you so much for listening. Till next time, bye for now. That's it for today's episode on the Parenting in the Thick of It show. If you enjoyed the show, please do share it with your friends and family. And remember, if you find yourself stuck in the thick of it and can't see a way out of it, please send me an email. I would love to help you. My email is louise at yourparentingpartner.com. And don't forget to take a look at the Parenting in the Thick of It family organizer that I created. It's an evergreen family calendar guaranteeing 12 months of use from whenever you start. It also includes beautifully illustrated, informative and interactive monthly parenting theme pages to guide you through the year. It's the perfect organizer for busy families to keep track of all their activities, plus help parents be the best parent they can be. It's more than just a calendar. You can find the link for this and the other social media platforms that I am on below the description in this episode. Thank you so much for listening today and I look forward to being with you all soon. Bye for now.